This is episode 27 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the author of Go For No, Andrea Waltz. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people from all across the globe about their particular journeys, um, whether they've been on it for a long time or they're just starting out, in hopes that it will motivate and inspire you all to either kick in the pants to get going on your own, or if you're currently on that path um, and you need some insights and knowledge to help you navigate the waters, um, you'll be able to pick up a lot of things from these folks that have already been through Um, jumping over some of those hurdles or had some different failures and things that could help you maybe avoid or at least to think about things differently um, as you go through uh, similar uh, situations. You know, in one of those situations, um, you know, we get ourselves into it in countless times throughout our life. And it's kind of the premise of this episode because I I was fortunate to have Andrea Waltz, um, who is the co-author of Go For No, one of the top-selling sales books of all time, but is around this premise of rejection. And, you know, I got to think about it a little bit more in the last few days after interviewing her. And it's something, you know, my perspective on rejection has changed a lot of the last five or 10 years. As I've become a sales professional and have faced rejection a lot, both personally and professionally, um, I used to take a really uh, an attack on myself. When someone rejected me, it was like, oh man, I'm a bad person. What did I do wrong? And, I've now changed my tune on that recently, and I, and I think of rejection equals reflection. It's an opportunity for me to learn and understand and just really compartmentalize, okay, what's going on here? Why is there that rejection or objection, um, either or? Um, it could be similar, but why is that happening? Where could I improve on it? Could I have communicated better? Could I have asked better questions? Um, could I have understood the situation better? And one of the things, too, I've learned is I always thought initially rejection is a bad thing. The reality, though, that rejection ultimately could get us to a better spot and get us to a better partnership or better relationship or whatever that may be. Just because there's initial rejection at some point doesn't mean that's the end of it. And at least that's that's the perspective I take on it. So it's just something, you know, if you guys haven't thought about that a lot, especially you guys that are on your own particular paths um, in life and, you know, rejection comes up a lot and maybe you haven't handled it well in the past, uh, there might be some different things. I definitely recommend to read Go For No, uh, but there's a lot of uh, different information out there. Again, for me, it's about, you know, again, that rejection equals reflection. How do I learn from it? How do I make better improvements to handle the objection? and then ultimately uh, make it better in the future. So something you guys may want to consider um, as you are trying to refine your skills or sharpen your skills, um, how do you handle rejection, and then how do you ultimately learn from it for uh, future advances? So that's a nice lead into my chat today with Andrea Waltz, who is the co-founder of Courage Crafters, as well as the co-author of one of the top-selling sales books of all time, Go For No. Um, And that's actually how you can find her online. Uh, gofornow.com as well as at gofornow on Twitter and LinkedIn and what have you. But it's a it's a quick read. It's not a war and peace type you know lengthy novel. Um, so I think you guys will get a ton of great nuggets if you pick up that book and, and read through it. Um, something that I know from a, a sales professional side of things, 
there's a lot of great insight, a lot of great thoughts in there that could be beneficial for you. But I think for any entrepreneur or business person, uh, it could really help you out in, in just everyday life. So definitely recommend you guys go check that out. Check out their blog. Um, a lot of great articles in there as well around it. But had a great time chatting with Andrea. I like some of the stories she shared. Um, and uh, like I said, just to kind of see where her kind of career took off and some of the unique paths it went on. Um, I think you guys will enjoy some of the, uh, the different insights that she has uh, throughout the particular episode. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Andrea Waltz. Let's get it started. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hey, it's so good to be with you. Yeah, I was excited to, obviously I'm familiar with the, the Go For No book uh, being in a, in a sales role and had been for a while and curious to get into that in a little bit and definitely wanted you on to chat about that. But as I started to kind of peel back some of the layers and learn a little bit more about you during my research, it was really some cool stuff that I came across. I'm, I'm excited for you to kind of share it with the group here as we go forward. Um, so I think that's maybe a good starting place is I always like to take a step back of like kind of upbringing and, and where you came from. I, I'm so big on that nature versus nurture type argument um, and how you got to where you are today was probably from some of the stuff maybe that uh, you kind of accomplished as a child or adolescence or whatever. And and I want to talk about something specifically first is I came across this and maybe it's just I'm a big Star Wars fan, but what is this about where you try to call George Lucas when you were like eight or something. Can you start with that story and then let's progress from there? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I too was a super, still am, but super, super Star Wars fan and, and episode four, like the, that's where everything started. Right. And that was my favorite. And, um, I, my dream as when I was about seven, eight years old was I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a movie producer. And I was convinced that George Lucas needed a young partner who had fresh ideas um, and that that should be me. So oddly, there was a family friend that was over, a family friend of my stepdad's over, and he heard me talking about this or knew my crazed obsession with watching Star Wars over and over again and said, I happen to, this guy was connected. He said, I happen to have George Lucas's personal office number. Do you want it? And I said, absolutely. So he gave it to me. And it must have been summer because I don't remember being in school. I remember waiting a couple of days and then getting up the courage to call his office. And I, of course, naively thought that George Lucas would just pick up the phone. And actually his secretary picked up, picked up the phone and said, George Lucas's office. And I said, yeah, is George there? And she said, well, can I ask who's calling and what this is in regards to? And I said, yeah, my name's Andrea and I love Star Wars and I want to work with George and I have some ideas for some movies and I would love to, you know, get in business with him. And it was just crazy goofy. And she said, oh, she said, you should join George's fan club. That's the best way to stay connected with him and his work. And I will set you up. And I was like, oh, I was kind of disappointed. And the funny thing about this whole story, actually, um, is that I, as years later, when I, when I was telling it, and I was actually talking to my mom about this, she said, yeah, Andrea, but do you remember what happened afterwards after you hung up? And I said, no, what do you mean? And she goes, you threw an absolute total fit, screaming, crying, flailing on the floor. I had to slap you across the face to snap, to snap you out of it. You were totally despondent, which I apparently blocked out. I don't remember it, but um, that's how traumatic it was. So that was my first exposure to getting a really big no. 
and and where did you get i guess the courage at that age do you remember to like pick up the phone and call george lucas i guess i just thought that that's was an option <laughs> i do remember specifically being nervous um about doing that so i mean i i i was nervous I remember being nervous. And then of course I got so upset afterwards, but you know, as kids, I mean, I think, I think it was right at that age and it was probably very shortly after where, you know, I, I lost some of that persistence and tenacity. Like we all do, we all just, you know, and here we are as adults, it's this constant struggle of trying to break through our limitations. But I think at that age, I was still just naive enough. Yeah, and I, and I was going to say that I, I see, you know, I have a young child, a, a six-year-old, uh, he is now, and I, I kind of see that as like, you know, as you get older, we almost lose that, you know, it's just like we lose imagination and creativity sometimes, we lose right. some of these other things as well for whatever, we kind of get beaten down by society, so yeah, maybe that was it, you were just, <laughs> didn't know any better, like, hey, that's how the world works, I guess. Um, yeah. And you mentioned you wanted to be a, a writer, or like writing and doing some stuff like that, did you ever pursue any of that maybe in adolescence going into because I think in college you did criminal justice and we'll get into that and but like how, did you ever do any of that or pursue any of that or or did you was that kind of just a that period in your life where you liked it well you know it was just something I really liked and as far as I'm, when I was in high school I mean my I, the elective I took was advanced um, creative writing and then when I got into college and had to pick a major, it was kind of like the writing thing just didn't seem, I didn't know, I didn't know what that meant. Like, where would that get me? So it didn't seem like a career option at all. So I became infatuated with um, law enforcement, I guess, crime scene investigation before there was even a TV show. This goes way back. And I decided that if writing wasn't the thing, then I would be a crime scene investigator. So that's what led me to get a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice, which I have literally never used, <laughs> not for a day. Well, I was going to ask, yeah, what was the, so maybe this is, this is a good point, I guess, is um, you you did the criminal justice kind of background there. What flipped, I guess, for you after you graduated? Is is there something that happened in that period of time? Because, you know, you and at least I saw if I got the timeline right, you launched kind of the training company at 24. That's probably not long after you left college. So what kind of happened in that period of time? Um, can you share that a little bit? Right. So what happened was as I was graduating, I was simultaneously working at LensCrafters and I was given basically an option with the local law enforcement agencies where I lived of, well, there's no jobs, but if you want to, you know, try your hand at being an unpaid intern for a few years, maybe something will open up. And then over at the corporate job I was working at, they were like, hey, as soon as you graduate, we're ready to promote you into entry-level management and you can move up and we think you're amazing. And it was kind of like, uh, I was ready to actually make an income, right? I mean, I was a broke college student fundamentally. So I picked that. And then that's where I met my business partner and now husband, who was the one who convinced me uh, after a couple years of working there that the best thing that we could do to take our talents of, we both had skills of, of training and lots of philosophies that we liked teaching in the business world. Best thing to do would be to quit and go off on our own, launch our own company, teaching these philosophies. Where did, you know, so at that, at, at that age, 24, 25, I'm trying to think back that age uh, now, where did you get the confidence, I guess, to 
go and again maybe it was it was in part the support there you had as well from him but because i know a lot of folks you know hearing that be like what does she know she's 24 like you know she just hasn't done training you know what i'm saying like yeah. did you ever had did you have a lot of people saying that like what do you think you're doing kind of thing like i'm curious about you know as you guys started that business what uh what was the first maybe year or so was like oh yeah we i had literally no idea what i was doing and if i had seen myself like as a stranger, I would say you're, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, you were going to fail. I, you know, I guess it comes back to being completely naive, um, yet again. And so that naivete always has served me well and a willingness, I guess, ultimately somewhere along the line, I guess I got the lesson early that failure was not all that bad. And that in my mind, the worst thing that would happen was, would be that we would crash and burn and I would pick myself up and go figure out the next step. So, I mean, that was kind of the worst case scenario. I think that having youth on your side is always good. The, the more older we get and the more set in our ways we get and the harder it is to sometimes take that, take those leaps, right? Because we get kind of into our, we get more and more comfortable and we get more and more adverse to taking risks. And I really wasn't back then. So that was, I think the primary thing, but of course, as I, as I learned being an entrepreneur, not only do you need to have discipline, which is really challenging for all entrepreneurs is have that discipline and to keep being able to have that risk mindset because you're constantly faced with challenges and needing to take those risks. Is, is there anything else? So in that first, again, year or two, first, the early kind of part of starting that business that, you know, for folks that are listening that maybe want to start their own business or even venture out of it, some side hustle or something like that, you know, is there any, um, I guess, from your experience that you would share of like, hey, make sure you check out this or don't do that. Any, anything in particular that you can think off the top of your head that was an important learning lesson for you? Um, I think the main lesson would be that don't be afraid to start something that's really uh, what I, I guess the best way I would describe it is niche down. Um, one of the things that we struggled with a, a lot over the years, and and we struggled with it early on, and then as the business kind of went up and down and had it had its ups and downs, we always struggled with trying to be all things to all people. You know, it was kind of like I remember at one point we were at this crossroads, and we were our company we had we had incorporated as courage crafters and we had this idea that we should be doing training breakthrough training for people in all of these different areas and um and then you know go for no was like one little piece of it and then we said well no wait a minute there's go for no is a business in and of itself even though it's very niched we're teaching people about overcoming fear of failure and rejection it, it's you know it's okay to really niche down. So I would I would actually advise people you can always go bigger, but it's really hard to start a business where it's very unclear who you're serving. It's very unclear. Like you want people to very clearly know know what you do and who it's for. So so for example, I mean I would almost tell somebody if you wanted to start say a bakery, well you don't even have to start a bakery. Start a focus on pies or focus on, you know, everything in this bakery is made of berries. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like as much as you can niche down, I think that makes business far simpler. I think the broader you go, the more challenging it is. Yeah, that's really good insight there. Um, and actually that you mentioned something there about the, you know, go for no, 
where did the idea for the book come from? So it came from um, something that happened to my husband when he was working at a men's clothing store and he learned the lesson there. And fundamentally he had a, he ended up having a sale, um, which was a great sale. A guy came in and asked to buy an entire wardrobe of clothing. So Richard, my husband sold him $1,100 worth of merchandise and his district manager was there and asked Richard the question that kind of started the whole go for no um, kind of mindset, which was, what did that customer say no to? And Rich had actually thought he had a great sale. This guy came in and was buying up all these things, shirts and ties and a suit and all these things. And this is, of course, many years ago now, but in those days, it was a big sale. It would probably be the equivalent of a three or $4,000 sale today. Um, and his district manager said, what did that customer say no to? And Rich said, he didn't say no to it anything. I, everything I showed the guy he bought. And then his manager said, well, then how did you know he was done? And fundamentally Richard knew he was done because he, uh, stopped basically when he got to his own mental spending limit, he didn't want to hear the word. No, he didn't want to look pushy. And so he ended the sale probably much earlier than he needed to for this guy who wanted a whole new wardrobe. And, uh, the district manager said, you know, you're, good salesperson, but your fear of the word no is going to kill you if you could just learn to get over that, if you could just go for no more. Um, and so my husband went home that night. He realized that he didn't, he had a fear of no, he didn't like hearing no. And he thought he didn't know if he, he always says this. I didn't know if I, if I had what it took to be successful, but I knew I had what it took to fail more. I knew I could just show more products and hear more no's. And if that's the way to success, I'll trust my district manager and I'll do it. And that's what he did. And he became a very successful salesperson, got into training, and then eventually we met. So the book is actually a fable, but it's based on that little story. And everything that we've created kind of generated from that little moment, that little interaction. So now I'm curious now, because you guys wrote the book together, right? We did. My husband was the primary writer. Okay. Well, I was just wondering how the, you know, I've had a lot of different folks on the, the you know, podcast here that are, have, you know, authored books and, you know, talking about different writing styles. I know a lot of people want to write books, um, want to get into that side of things. And maybe this part of your writing, writing background or that you want to do, you know, maybe you came in to help. But do you know, can you explain a little bit about that process that um, you guys went through in terms of writing the book? Maybe even, you know, did you go out and seek publishers or people reaching out to you? How did that go a little bit? If you can that's share a, that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, first of all, it's a great question, Brian. And actually, Go For No is our third book. We, we when we launched our company, our training company, um, this was back in the day, way before Amazon. And self-publishing back then was called vanity publishing. It was like you, you no one really did their own publishing. We never tried to get a publisher until we, at one point we did with Go For Now, which ended up, um, we got turned down, but uh, we decided that the smartest thing that we could do to sell our training was to write a book. So we wrote a short fable, 64 pages called Unlocking the Secrets of Retail Magic, which was very targeted, very niche to the customers we were trying to attract. And we would send copies of those books to decision makers. And we, by doing that, we actually, that kind of helped us build our business. That's how we got hired as people saw the book, 
They assumed we were experts, even as bad looking as the book was and being self-published, it was still niched enough that they, they thought, hey, these people are solving our problem. They, they understand our industry. And so um, when it came time, so we wrote a second book, which was again for the retail industry. And then when we came time for Go For No, again, we self-published. So we did, we, you know, came up with our own cover. We did our own formatting. We sent the book off to an offset printer and had 10,000 copies delivered to our garage. And basically it was up to us to try to figure out how to sell them. Oh, wow. That's pretty. And and how did you, I guess, what was your, what was your strategy? Did you go into it just like, Ugh, I don't know what we're doing? Or did you guys have some strategy in place there that you were excited about? Like everything that we've done, we always have a strategy. It rarely works. <laughs> I mean, we're always trying to get it to try to pull it off. Um, no. So we had a strategy, which was just like with retail magic. The strategy was, um, uh, send the copies of this book to people who could hire us to speak or train or whatever, or maybe they would like to buy 500 copies for their salespeople. So we sent out 500 copies. It was a huge expense. Luckily the book is short though, so it didn't cost a ton of money in postage. So we sent out 500 copies and we got one order from for 50 copies. Had we not gotten that order, we had convinced ourselves that some evil person at the post office had had like trashed all of our books because we couldn't bring ourselves to think that this mailing of 500 books that we did completely failed. Um, and but we got an order, so we knew that somebody got the book. So we we really struggled with that book. One of the things that we learned actually was the book had a terrible cover. We didn't know that for five years until somebody called us one day who we had given a copy of the book to, who said, you guys have written one of the greatest sales books of all time. And we were like, really? That's great. And then he said, yes, but you have one of the worst covers in the history of publishing. So if you could change that, I will order 5,000 copies. That guy ended up becoming a good friend of ours, but that's kind of where we were. And it wasn't until we changed the cover that the book started taking off because um, you think people don't judge a book by its cover. They do. And by us always you know, bootstrapping things and doing stuff on our own. We ended up with, it was just a really boring cover. It wasn't attractive. It didn't look polished and professional. I think that's what held it back for so many years. And and again, you probably learned a lot of lessons from this. Sometimes that, you know, hindsight, right? As they say, is 2020, yes. but would, I mean, would you go back then and, you know, if you could do it again, say, God, we, we maybe should have invested in, you know, a graphic designer, or someone that actually does this for a living that works with book covers just to get it right the first time? Or would you still maybe go through those early struggles because you learned a lot during that time? Yeah, Brian, that's a really good question. You know, the struggles are so key because we have learned so much. I like to say, and I know this sounds like a joke, but we we definitely have been able to monetize our failures because we've taken all of our lessons and we share a lot of this, you know, um, actually we train people part of, part of a new side business. We've launched is training people on book publishing and helping people publish books. So we have taken these hard fought lessons. So I guess in a way going back and doing what normal sane people would do, which is hiring a graphic designer, maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, the funny part is, we, we, we are control freaks. Part of, probably why we're entrepreneurs is we like to control everything. So we have made that book cover mistake multiple times, multiple times. Um, and I think we finally learned our lesson, but I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. 
Uh, well, hey, at least you can admit it. That's good, right? That's yes. the, the starting point. Um, yes. Let me ask you that. I'm going to switch gears for just a second because, you know, I know you obviously doing a lot of training, working with a lot of, um, especially from a sales standpoint and stuff. What do you see um, at least kind of out there these days? And maybe it's changed, but it's kind of the biggest problem area in most sales organizations. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, well, there's one answer, which is an answer that I think is just something that I've kind of witnessed from afar. And that is that with social media and with technology, I think salespeople are more scattered than ever. I think the role of trying to sell a product or a service is more challenging than ever, even with all of those things at your disposal, because it's kind of like um, we're all using data now and AI is the big thing in the world of sales and sales training and, and how does marketing fit into sales? And then as you know, um, how do you incorporate social media into your sales? So there's almost, it's, it's gotten so much more complicated and you'd think that selling should have gotten easier Selling was so easy when we started our business because there was only one way to do it. It was call the, try to call the, like if it was B2B, which in our case it was, call the company, try to find out who makes the decision on, on this particular issue, get them on the phone, pitch them, <laughs> send them information and try to close the deal or, or set an appointment or whatever. I mean, it's like, that's so, that's like the simplest sales process. And yet today it's super complicated with everything else that you can integrate into that which is okay start sharing content on linkedin and start um, a facebook page and tweet and simultaneously learn about people before you contact them like how should you be using your data so that is really what i see that said i think the other biggest challenge because of that is to get back to the basics get back to the basics and focus on reaching out to targeted prospects, share your story in the best way you can and help people make a decision um, and deal with, and this is where kind of go for no comes in is, is really don't overlook people's innate and fundamental basic fear of failure and rejection. Cause I think a lot of companies, especially it's like the elephant in the room that no one deals with, they don't talk about it. And so that's kind of what, one of our missions is to bring something up and deal with it in a positive way so that maybe that issue is not something that a company has to deal with. And do, do, I'm curious, and this may be part of the, the answer you just gave, but how do you personally, um, and maybe it's things you guys talk about with a lot of folks, but like decipher between, you know, the top performers versus kind of the mid or low performers. Do you see a lot of discrepancies, like things that are, are pretty blatant that you can call out, or is it a little bit more um, down in the weeds where it's hard to see? Well, I think from where we come into things, it's much harder for us to see. Uh, it, there are so many nuances and it really depends on the type of industry that you're talking about and the type of profession and everyone has their top performers and everyone has, you know, everybody's has their top people and the middle people and the bottom people. And there is a, always a variety of reasons for that. And sometimes it's, you know, <laughs> the, the bottom performers would like to tell you that the top people have the better territories and they 
they got they have better timing and they got this and they got that. So there's plenty of excuses to go around. We don't really are we aren't really privy to a lot of that information, Brian, because typically what we do is um, we uh, we go in and speak and do a one hour or a ninety minute presentation, um, and it's really more of keynote. And so I, we don't necessarily really get to dig in and act as consultants, if that makes sense. No, I got you. It does make a lot of sense. Well, that's actually a good transition around from a speaking. I had a question here I want to ask just around, you know, when you when you started out speaking in front of groups, and it might have been in smaller groups, and they've gotten bigger, but what were some of the things that you went through at that time versus how you do it today? Do you get nervous at all? Is there is there a certain um, things that you do to prepare uh, better so that, you know, you can obviously answer certain questions or whatever. I'm just kind of curious how you approach the speaking maybe years ago versus what you do today and, and what the delta is between that to help you improve. Oh, in term, yeah, you know, um, one, of, one of the things that we've learned is that uh, I don't ever want to go in and do a presentation um, and practice on an audience for the first time, right? So one of the things that we have learned over the years is that our the best material that we can do is super practiced that we've delivered over and over and over again. And because our presentation is what I would call evergreen, it's kind of, it doesn't really change based on, it's based on the economy, or based on certain outside factors. Sure, there might be some nuances here or there, but we really focus on philosophy and fundamentals. And so um, our biggest, uh, the thing that we work on the most is just kind of, we get a lot of background that never comes out in the speech. It's just good for us to have in the back of our minds so that as we're speaking, we might not even say the, the words or the lingo or the jargon, but we just, we kind of know where people are coming from. And I think it helps us um, tailor the speech better, but I never pretend or want to walk in and pretend like I know someone's business better than they do. I know our philosophy is better than anyone else. And so that's what I focus on. And I'm curious, a couple of just questions here as we kind of wrap up is really around like you personally, like, is there a daily routines or activities that you try to do that, you know, helps keep you focused on growing the business or just keep you sane? Maybe I don't know. Um, but is there anything that you try to do as a, as a proactive practice each and every day? Or is every day just kind of different and kind of go with the flow? Yeah, I'm an every day is different go with the flow gal. <laughs> I will tell you that I do. I like to I like to have I like to mix it up, but every day I, there's some activity, something that I do to share this message. And that is, and it's probably more than one thing. It's probably three things. So that means that every day I'm either on a podcast like this, or I'm sharing a post on social media, or I'm writing a blog post, or I'm sending out our newsletter, or I'm doing a webinar and I could go on and on and on. But every day I'm pushing something out where I'm sharing this message, hopefully to a new fresh audience, um, because that's the way that ultimately we kind of grow our business from the, I guess what you'd call kind of the, the ground up. And then there's the top down, which is finding influencers, people who influence our target audience, partnering with them, 
or reaching out to a VP of sales or something like that. So it's kind of a top down, bottom up, meet in the middle strategy. And is there certain things you do, um, again, personally to just kind of continue to gain knowledge? Is there, is there certain books like you like to read or podcasts you like to listen to? Or I'm just kind of curious where you acquire knowledge or, and, and even not knowledge, maybe just entertainment purposes where you kind of like to check out for a little bit. Like what's kind of been on your radar the last six or eight months, things that you like to do in that regard? Well, I'm very guilty of um, binge watching Netflix. So that's the entertainment side. But on the on the knowledge side, there's so many people that I read and follow um, people and I follow people in a lot of different disciplines. So I, fo- I follow people who are in sales training and I like to go on LinkedIn and see what articles they're posting. And I follow marketers and I follow a lot of internet marketers and I will go to internet marketing conferences. Like we're going to LaunchCon, um, Jeff Walker's conference in Orlando in November. And we went to his one in Dallas last year. So um, we're spending a day with Alan Weiss, who's a consultant in January. So we do a lot of personal and professional development. We probably do something, I would say, either once a month or once every other month where we are doing some kind of pretty serious investment to learn. And it's all different types of people. And sometimes we stick with someone for a couple of years and then we see someone else has got interesting stuff and we move on. Um, we've pr- easily spent over $100,000 on personal development, professional development since we launched our business easily because I strongly believe that, um, strongly believe in it um, from a personal standpoint and just from uh, being a better business person. Well, so what do you and uh, and Richard have in your plate the next uh, handful of months into 2019? What are you guys excited about with the business or any new things you're launching? Anything you want to share with the audience? Well, one of the things is go for no. We just launched an online training and coaching course that I'm super excited about. And um, so we have that going on. And uh, uh, our publishing company, we're in the middle of, well, not in the middle, we're at the beginning stages of growing that. And it's called Success in 100 Pages. So we have no end of things. And it's a constant battle to rein ourselves in and to not see something else that catches our fancy and we go like, Oh, we could do that. (laughs) So those two are the big two. And what would, where can everyone find you online? What's the best way to get in touch with you or check out your stuff? Go for no.com. It's easy. Everything's go for no on Facebook and I'm at go for no on Twitter and at go for no on Instagram. Awesome. Well, let me ask you any final thoughts. I always like to, you know, kind of end is, if there's a quote, if there's something, um, some some piece of knowledge, anything to share with the audience that is kind of like the kind of a lasting impression here to end the uh, the episode on, and kind of open it up mm. to you, whatever you'd like to say. Well, I guess I'd share the, just the go for no mindset of uh, use focus on asking, and at any point that you find that there's something that you want, the our kind of quote is there's virtually not everything, but there's virtually nothing you can't achieve if you're willing to hear no often enough. So if there's something that you're interested in doing or having or achieving, and it requires you to ask, just ask, go for no, be willing to hear no. And oftentimes you might get a yes. And you're awesome. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and chat through. I really like some of the stories there. And uh, by the way, I was going to ask, have you ever chatted with George Lucas or did that ever happen? Or is that still on the, uh, on the, sadly, no, it's definitely on the bucket list for sure. Keep us updated when that okay. happens. Um, and, and that's awesome. Well, hey, Grace, I'm glad to have you on the podcast again. Thanks so much for joining and appreciate the time. 
Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, thanks again for everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And as always, um, if you want to find me online, uh, check out my website, uh, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com. Also on Instagram and Twitter, at brianondraco. Find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, hope to connect with you guys. Um, any questions you have, feedback, please let me know. If you do get a chance and have been enjoying the uh, episodes, I um, certainly would love if you left a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you listen on. And hope to get a chance to connect with you guys further down the road. Have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Just get started.